Now, before I begin, I'm going to tell you a little story, incident that happened to me this week as I traveled north. Uh, I flew up uh, to take care of some issues at my law firm, and then I went into uh, the city uh, to meet with uh, the guy who basically manages our, our firm's profit-sharing plan, Mario Gabelli. You probably see him on TV pretty often. He's almost on every week. Um, a, a brilliant guy. And he had a reception uh, Thursday night in a conference on Friday. Uh, and so Thursday night's reception, there probably were 400 people there uh, in the city. It was at the New York Historical Society. And so I'm in, the, I'm in this reception. I get there, and I'm walking around. Uh, and I really hardly know anybody at all. Uh, and all of a sudden, a guy comes up to me and says, John, I can't believe it. I saw you on Monday, and now I see you here. Would you believe that it was one of the Monday Bible study guys <laughs> who flew up uh, to attend this meeting because Gabelli had managed his family's money? And then, and then his wife came over to me and said, oh, John, we talk about you all the time. He says, oh, my God, the work that you're doing, and on and on and on. And what a blessing that was to be in godless New York City, Amen. all right, and, and have people of faith come up to you. Well, that just kind of triggered me to let me know, you know, you're on duty, brother. You're on duty. So over the course of the next day and a half, uh, I had about six separate encounters with people, um, and uh, in each one of those encounters, at some point in time, I would say to them, are you a person of faith? That's the key. Are you a person of faith? And, and in these cases, these people would say to me, well, yes, I am, and then I started to discuss things about what's going on and how God can improve their lives and what we're doing down here. And in each and every case, every single one of those people was totally engaged, totally engaged, said they wanted to get the, uh, the website, wanted to hear the radio uh, uh, broadcasts, uh, each and every uh, one of them. And so to me, um, and not one of them, by the way, not one of them was a Baptist. Shock. That was a shock. Not one of them was a Baptist, but each one of them coming from very uh, other denominations, uh, denominations that you wouldn't think uh, there would be a, a, an on-fire zeal to hear about Jesus Christ. These people were very uh, engaged. And so I viewed that as a positive, uh, a positive opportunity. And I think that's how God wants us to act. And so when, during the course of the summer, I'm not going to be around. Uh, Steve Spanner is going to be in, in charge here. I hope you have a chance. When you see somebody, that's a good way to engage it. You know, you just say to somebody, are you a person of faith? And if they say no, and then you, you'll, you'll talk about Jesus. But if they say yes, then you have another way to engage about how to, how to get closer to God. Because uh, I told you, remember, uh, people who, who basically say they believe in God, most of them are in day one. They're in day one. We want to get them in day two, because that's where Jesus wants them to be, in day two. And that's the kind of uh, influence we could be. So I thought you would have... You would appreciate that, uh, that story, because that was the last place in the world I thought that would ever take place, amazingly so. Uh, and uh, it's funny because um, the, uh, the conference was over about 2 o'clock on Friday. I had a, uh, a flight out at about 
So I had to get from Midtown Manhattan to Newark Airport, and I figure I'll use Uber. Well, the problem is you can't get it, uh, an internet connection in New York City when you're walking on the streets because of the, of the uh, tall buildings. And so now I couldn't get internet, so I couldn't get Uber. So what do I do? I flag a cab down on the street. I flagged the guy down. I said, take me to Newark Airport. He goes, I don't know how to get there. I said, I'll get you there. And, and we did get there, believe it or not. I thought you'd appreciate that story. <laughs> got to be creative, folks. You got to know how to survive, all right? Make sure you got to know how to survive. But it, it all worked out well, and I'm back here, and I'm, I'm, I'm great to be, grateful to be back and be with you. We will be here two more Sundays, okay? Two more Sundays. Um, and... Uh, I hope you'll be here for all of those, and also when Steve is, begins substituting, because he does a great job as well. So today we're going to go and talk about uh, the trials, the, the legal trials that Jesus had to go through. And I thought this was a, a worthwhile exercise, and how appropriate, since of my, because of my uh, educational background, to talk about this. But also it's appropriate because you probably have never heard anybody ever speak about this issue before. In church, it's going to be pretty hard to find a minister that's going to have you know, a deep knowledge of the legal procedures of Israel. Uh, but I think it's important because what you're going to see here is this, is that they violated every one of Jesus' rights. And not only were they persecuting him physically, and was he experiencing suffering personally, but even to the extent that he was entitled to rights that would have been given to any Jew of that period of time, they trampled on them. Why? Because they were covered in evil. Satan had so darkened their eyes that they wanted Jesus dead. Uh, and so as a result of that, they would do anything they could to get him crucified and step on these rights. And so I think it becomes important to take a look at this and take a look at the uh, John chapter 18, beginning on verse 12. Um, then, then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Now, here's the thing. You cannot really get an insight into all of the trials that take place unless you read multiple gospel accounts. There is not one gospel account that will begin chronologically and take you through it all. So we're going to look through several gospel accounts, piece it together so that you can understand what's going to happen. Because what's going to happen here is first Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be taken to Annas. Annas is the... Uh, He's referred to as the high priest, but he's considered by the Jews the high priest. His uh, uh, son-in-law, uh, uh, Caiaphas, who you already saw what Caiaphas said about Jesus, would be the, the uh, legal high priest nominated by Rome. So it was a high priest that the Jews would look to as the high priest. Then there was the legal high priest, Caiaphas. Then there will be uh, trials that would be under the imprimatur of Rome uh, that would be taken under the jurisdiction of Pilate. And so as, as we begin this examination, we're going to focus on uh, four main features. First, there was the arrest. We've already discussed the arrest. That took place on the evening before the Passover in the year AD 30. So here's most likely the timetable on this. 
The Passover is Thursday. Some of the other commentators say Friday. Uh, uh, the, the commentator that I rely on the most, Boyce, uh, maintains that the Passover is, third, is Thursday, uh, and he believes Jesus was, was crucified on Thursday, while many other people believe Jesus was crucified on Friday. Whatever, it's in the year 30, all right? Most likely this is April 5th uh, on, on a Wednesday. And so as he's arrested, it now would be as, le- as late as 11 or 12 p.m. Um, and so now, now a Jewish trial begins. Now, the Jewish trial had two separate parts. First, there was a preliminary hearing in front of Annas. Now, I don't know if you know what a preliminary hearing is uh, today in America, but if you get arrested, uh, whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony, typically what would happen is at some point in time prior to a trial, you would go to a preliminary hearing in front of a judge. Issues like bail would take place. Uh, Also, typically, a, a, a trial date would take place. Um, and you would be advised of your rights. That's a preliminary hearing. Well, uh, they had that preliminary hearing uh, in front of Annas. Now, one, one of the things that surprised me is I did not realize how uh, incredibly high the legal rights were of defendants in Israel. I was amazed as I studied this, uh, but there were, for the typical defendant, significant uh, legal rights. You, if you were going to be executed, it took an awful lot, an awful lot for you to be found guilty of a capital crime, an awful lot. Uh, and uh, it's amazing as you study this because you kind of get a different feeling when you look at the movies and things like that, uh, because Jesus wasn't treated like that. And so the way Jesus was treated deviated significantly from what would to be um, viable from another typical defendant. Um, and so here he is appearing before Annas. Well, right off the bat, that's a violation. Jesus should never have been brought before anybody in the middle of the night because under the Jewish rules, their, their procedures, their trials had to be during daylight hours. All right? But here's the thing. They've got the Passover coming up. They want Jesus dead before the Passover. So since the Passover is coming up, they're going to do everything in their power to steer this thing to a conclusion, irrespective of the violation of of, uh, his rights. So it was illegal, it was improper to have that hearing at night, yet they did it. Um, And so uh, I want to make sure that you understand that even though Annas is referred to as the high priest, Annas is considered the Jewish high priest, Caiaphas is the, the legal high priest, the Roman appointee. And so Jesus refuses to testify against himself before Annas and was struck by a minor court official. Now take a look at verse 19 in chapter 18. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together, I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Continuing, Jesus said, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him still bound 
to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, understand something. Under Jewish law, if you were going to prosecute somebody, you had to have at least two independent eyewitnesses. Two independent eyewitnesses. You weren't prosecuted by the high priest. The high priest was basically the tribunal who would make sure that your rights were, were given to you. But you had to have two witnesses, at least two witnesses, who saw the entire thing that you're charged with from beginning to end, who would get up and testify exactly what you did, what they saw, and the mode with which you did that. How do you like that? Guess what? There are no eyewitnesses, okay? And so here they have uh, this preliminary hearing in front of uh, Annas, who I'm sure is, is disgusted and surprised that, that he could have just closed down the whole trial in front of Jesus. There are no eyewitnesses. That's why Jesus said, well, bring the witnesses in. Have the witnesses testify, all right? You couldn't be compelled to testify against yourself. There's another aspect of this. Uh, and so... Uh, there are no eyewitnesses, and so Annas packs him off to Caiaphas, Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, and so we're still in the night. And so the second phase of the Jewish trial was before Caiaphas, to whom Annas had sent Jesus, when he de determined that uh, his own method of interrogation was fruitless. Now, this part of the trial is described in Matthew. So turn to Matthew 26. You're going to know more about this than probably uh, anybody else, certainly in Naples, and most likely in the United States, because very few people will have drilled down on this level to understand exactly what went on that night. And so now, Jewish trial number two. Uh, turn to Matthew 26. All right, let me make sure I got 50, uh, verse 57. This is now before the Sanhedrin. And so get, get, you know, understand this. This is still in the night. Most likely now it's probably 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's dark. But they get the Sanhedrin out, uh, and Caiaphas is in charge. Verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Now, we don't know precisely how many witnesses, but they knew they needed at least two. And so I, I presume that they set up these witnesses who came forward, but none of them really could tie it together and, and conclusively give evidence that would result in Jesus uh, being put to death. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And you know exactly what that was about and what Jesus meant. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? Because I'm sure Jesus is saying there and recognizing, I don't have to talk. I'm not going to talk. He also knew what the prophecy said. He shall be led like a sheep before the slaughter. And so Jesus is uh, comporting himself in full, fully aligned with the, the Old Testament uh, prophecies about who the Messiah would be. He's not testifying about himself. He's, he's, he's going about this uh, quietly. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Now, Jesus could have very easily refuted that, and Jesus did not. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, this becomes a creed a key issue uh, in this whole developing story. Because if you look at the way the question was phrased, 
Uh, Caiaphas was a brilliant person, and he recognized that he would have to pose the question by using the, the uh, charge of oath by the living God. If you were a Jew and you were, saying, you were said, I want you to give an oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, here's the thing. Jesus had previously referred to the fact that the Jews considered themselves sons of God. And he had used that at one point in time when people had charged him on this. And he deflected it by saying, your own scripture refers to you as the sons of God. But notice here, there's no plural. Do you see this? There's no plural. This is being very pointedly aimed at, at, at the charge at what Jesus was saying that he was, are you the Christ, the Son, singular, of God? And so now, Jesus, recognizing that it has been put to him, that he is charged by the oath of God, now Jesus answers. He will not allow that to go unanswered. And it is his answer here which effectively puts him to death. Verse 64, yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, let's, let's just think about the, the authority of Christ, this carpenter, in front of the 71 of the highest religious elites in all of Israel, and saying to them, yes, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And more than that, you will, there will be a day when you will see the Son of Man, meaning me, descending from the clouds, uh, and, and you will see that coming from the right hand of God, the right throne of God. What an amazing picture that is in my mind's eye as I read that and reflect upon that. Uh, then the high priest tore his clothes. You can imagine what that had to be like. All right, as they are now indicted, God is, is indicting them. And in their anger, and in their anger and frustration dealing with him, now when Jesus makes this statement, not, not in any way a timid way, but in a forceful, courageous way, standing up under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the power, he's now ripping his clothes. He's losing his mind. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Now, you notice again the term witnesses? Witnesses is the key. Remember, as I told you, they were not to be prosecutors. They were meant to be judges. It was not for him to do the questioning. It was really invalid for him to ask the questions. The witnesses were meant to come forward. The witnesses were meant to put evidence in. And in fact, under their legal system, the witnesses were posed poised to ask the the question of the defendant. It's a very different system. But you see what happens here under the influence of Satan and evil, this is what happens. When evil men take over, when their hearts are dark, and this is what you see that they do. And so uh, here we see Caiaphas intervening uh, in this incredible way uh, and, and really uh, losing his mind and saying we don't need to have any other witnesses. Now, uh, uh, you look there at verse 
63. Uh, and where we, well, we talked about that already. So now, now he says, tell me if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then I want you to see Jesus says, I am. And then verse 27, verse 1, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to this, the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. They didn't have the, the authority to execute this sentence. They pronounced the judgment, but they could not execute the sentence. A Roman trial came next because there could not be any capital offense uh, executed without a concurrence by the Roman Empire. Um, and so this becomes very profound. Now, one of the things that I studied uh, as, I, as I came through this passage was the fact that it was highly, highly unusual for the Sanhedrin to issue a death warrant, a death execution. And under their legal rules, uh, in order for it to be proper, they would have had to have a unanimous verdict. How do you like that? 71 people had to unanimously agree that Jesus deserved to die. Also under those rules, if in fact the 71 people came to that decision, they were supposed to adjourn for 24 hours because they wanted you to go home and reflect and pray about the decision you had made. Isn't that interesting? In other words, they were going to do everything under the legal authority of Israel before they executed a death warrant. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't adjourn for 24 hours. Why? Because Passover is coming. He's got to die. We got to get this done. You have to understand everything that was coming together. Remember, six days before, five days before, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. From the dead. It's the talk of Israel. It's the talk of Jerusalem. All right? Uh, two days after that, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's being hailed by thousands. His, his fame is rising. His authority is rising. The people are seeing who he is. And so the high priest in the Sanhedrin, he has to die. He has to go. We don't care how we're going to trample his rights, what we have to do, but we're going to do this. And so you see this. Uh, and to me, it's astonishing. When I saw all these rights that Jesus lost, really, it again reflected on the persecution and suffering of Christ. Not only was there a physical and emotional, but it was legal. They were just violating his rights that a normal defendant would never have been violated. It's so profound. And you see why, the, why there was a judgment on those people, all right, that they would do this, all right? There was a judgment on those people. And so a Roman trial came next. Now they bind him up. Now they bring him to Pilate because uh, there could not be any taking of life. Uh, unless there was a concurrence of the Roman uh, uh, magistrate. Pilate is the magistrate. So here, for, for reasons yet to be studied, uh, the Jewish leaders are incredibly frustrated. Ra rather than proceeding with a simple pro forma trial and judgment before Pilate, which is normally what you would expect, all right, Pilate's there. Here's what the Jews wanted. It's unanimous. One, two, three, we'll knock this out. We'll move forward. Suddenly, Pilate is conflicted. 
He's conflicted. We know in other passages that his wife had talked to him about it, that she had been disturbed about it. And so rather than proceeding with a pro forma trial and judgment, Pilate suddenly balks and tries to free the prisoner. All right, because Pilate sees this is an innocent man. He had heard about what Jesus was doing. uh, And he tries to escape responsibility by sending Jesus to one who he thought might have better jurisdiction. I like this. He's going to send him to Herod. Why? Because Jesus came from Galilee and Herod was in charge of that uh, Galilean jurisdiction. So guess what? I can wash my hands of this. All right. Very political, astute political move. Turn to Luke 23. This is why I say you need to weave these all together. You can't get this in just one presentation. Luke 23, verse 6. On hearing this, well, actually, we'll look at verse 5 first. 4. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Well, he claimed to be the Christ, the son of the living God. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by this teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked that the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod who was also in Jerusalem at that time. You take him. So here's another judge. This guy's in charge of a lesser jurisdiction. It's Galilee. You take care of him. And so they sent him to Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. How about that? How about that? I've been wanting to see Jesus. Maybe not like this. Maybe not like this. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. There it is. I want to see a magic trick. Okay? I want to see this. This is often how the world is. I know you can do some incredible miracles. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. Uh, and, And again, this was not a person of faith. This was a politician looking to see what Jesus could do in front of him to entertain him. And Jesus would not answer any of them. Uh, The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Can you get this picture? All right, so they stayed up all night. They had this trial. The Jews had this trial. They, instead of giving Jesus any of his rights, they trampled on all his rights. Now Now they're attending the trials, and they're sitting there. I can just see them pointing. He's a loser. He's a He's a demon. He's trying to stir up the people. He has to die. You just think. The evil, the evil that fills their hearts uh, when you see them inspired by Satan trying to bring Jesus uh, uh, to an end. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. Well, they put him in a robe because Jesus said he was king of the Jews. You're the king of the Jews. We're going to put you in a robe. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Now, what does that mean? It means that people can be inspired through evil to have relationships. You see? All right? Always wanted to be a friend. Now I realize uh, you and I have a lot in common. We both hate Jesus. We're going to go down in history together. Uh, Yeah, now I've got a relationship with you. And so uh, this, this amazing situation 
is, 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 takes place in front of your eyes, it's hard to believe it. And so now, the, the main trial, the, the crucial one, is recorded by the gospel writer Matthew, if you look at Matthew 27. This is the main trial. So this has gone on. This is taking place in, in the morning. Jesus has been up all night, gone through uh, several uh, hearings, uh, several votes. They're passing him around. Poor Jesus. Poor, poor Jesus. Now looking at verse 15, Matthew 27, 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who was called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Now, how do you like that, that statement? It was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. They were jealous that the people had raised Jesus to this level and the Jewish elite wanted him dead. Pilate Pilate's wife had already warned him she had been having dreams, don't have anything to do with this man. This is a holy, righteous man. And so Pilate comes up with this genius movie, thinks. Here's a loser, notorious criminal, Barabbas. Let's, at this day, it's a feast day, so I will give you a choice. I will free one of these people. Figure it for sure they're going to free Jesus. No, free the notorious criminal. Put the Son of God on a cross. Unbelievable. Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting at the ju judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Now, how do you like this? All right, you talk about God intervening with your life, that even if you're not in the right place, God gives you a chance to change. God gives you a chance to, to eradicate what you're about to do. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, there's a sidebar that's a lesson to us, and that is this. When your wife tells you something like that, okay? When your wife tells you something like that, listen, because 99% of the time, and I'll say almost 100, they always have better insights than we do. All right, and so here she is. I've had dreams. He's a holy man. Don't have anything to do with this man. Now, really, if my wife said that to me, I could tell you, I would have listened to her. I would have listened to her, but you see what happens. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, said the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They answered, crucify him. Oh, my gosh, Lord Jesus. Why? He's still trying to find a way to, to back out of it. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Can you get this scene? He is so uh, really convicted about this and is trying to find a way to back out of it. Well, he feels like politically he can't back out, but he's letting them know, I am innocent. Well, you're not, Pilate. 
You're not innocent. All the people answered, and this is a chilling statement, let his blood be on us and on our children. Oh, Father. Father. Now, I told you from the beginning that nobody takes principal responsibility of killing Jesus. And I believe that. Jesus voluntarily went uh, to the cross because we know that at any moment, Jesus could have called down a battalion of angels. God could have intervened at any moment. It was God's will from the beginning of time that Jesus go to the cross. But I want you to understand something. That doesn't mean that there are people along the way who have responsibility, culpability in this, who did not have to do what they did, including Judas, all right, including the high priest, including the Sanhedrin. And now when you say to, to the point where the son of the living God is about to be crucified, let his blood be on us and on our children, I would say that that's a pretty serious, pretty serious thing to do. And I'm not going to comment any more on that, but clearly that's a pretty serious thing to do, and that's within the will of God. That's not for us to uh, uh, give our opinions as to how God viewed that, but I would say that's a pretty serious, serious charge. Uh, then he released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So you're getting this picture now uh, of all of the issues that are going on. And so as I said to you from the beginning, the role of the witnesses was crucial. There were no witnesses against Jesus. They were the ones who were basically to be the prosecutors. There were no people functioning like that. It was the high priest who took this role, who did the interrogation, completely inappropriate, completely terminating all of, of the rights of Jesus. Um, and if one witness's testimony varied even slightly from the other, the testimony was to be disregarded. And that's what had happened in this hearing. They had brought many witnesses in, but they were useless. They couldn't use, they couldn't use them because they were at variance with, with one, and, uh, one another. And so you see it all coming together. Uh, and what you see here is that evil is now carrying the day. Evil is carrying the day. The light of this world comes into this world and darkness is taking the light and trying to put the light out. And that's the lesson for us. I want you to recognize that as you walk in this world, the kind of things that you see here, the kind of evil people that you see here are still walking in this world. They, they sit in the government in every, every country in the United States. They sit in courts, in every court system in the United States. If you think you get justice, by going to court, let me clue you in. I tried over a thousand cases in my lifetime and not once did I ever see justice really take place. There is no justice in court, all right? Every once in a while, by accident, by accident, justice takes place. And so this is, this is the lesson for us as Christians. We live and walk in an evil world. You see it here with Jesus, the son of God, as he comes to bear and all of the evil tramples all of the supposed rights. Why? Because the world is evil. Because darkness predominates. Uh, and yet, in the end, we win. In the end, we win. Uh, and, and so this is beginning of that story. We'll close now and continue next week. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us, for the insight, Father, as to what Jesus went through in these last days. Lord, let, it, let our, this lesson resonate in our heart as we reflect on the extent of evil and darkness in this world. And thank you, Father, for bringing hope and light 
to a place that desperately needs it. Bless our people, protect them this week, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.